Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg, that's me, ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. It's harder to focus than ever these days. Thankfully, C4 has reinvented the energy drink game with C4 Smart Energy, the only energy drink clinically proven to provide enhanced mental focus, containing 200 milligram of natural caffeine, a blend of vitamins and zero sugar. It was formulated to support your well-being and help you feel your best, all while enhancing mental focus. From your brain to your body, C4 Smart Energy does it all and tastes amazing. Look for Smart Energy in the beverage aisle at your local Kroger, Albertsons, and Safeway grocery stores. C4 Smart Energy. Stay focused. This episode of Travel Today with Peter Greenberg is brought to you by Audible.com, a leading provider of spoken audio information and entertainment. Listen to audiobooks whenever and wherever you want. Sign up today at www.audiblepodcast.com slash travel today to get a free audiobook and 30-day trial. It's time for Peter Greenberg Worldwide with America's number one travel news journalist. And now, the man who travels over 400,000 miles each year, your travel detective, Peter Greenberg. Hi, everybody. Peter Greenberg here, and welcome to the podcast that's done from a different location around the world every single week. One day Canada, the next day Thailand, then New York, London. You just never know. This week we come to you from Amanyara, an amazing resort in the Turks and Caicos. And if you don't know where the Turks and Caicos are and you think they're in the Caribbean, well, they're officially zoned in the Caribbean, but we're actually in the Atlantic. It's a little quirky. This is an amazing island. I've been coming down here for years. Great nature and wildlife reserve. In fact, this particular resort is inside a 5,000-acre nature and wildlife reserve and a wonderful, wonderful location and totally accessible if you like the beach. And I do like the beach. There's something else here that I have to mention, and that's the night sky. Just whenever you walk outside your room, just watch your step, but then stop where you are and look up. It's just brilliant. Talk about great stargazing. What a great location for it right here in the Turks and Caicos. Population, only about 35,000 people. Totally manageable. The warm water, it averages about 82 to 84 degrees in the summer. I mean, that's really warm. So you can imagine what it's like in the winter. It's it's in the in the, you know, in the 70s, which is totally doable. 400 kilometers, that's about 350 miles of coastline. And here's the part nobody ever gets, 40 separate islands. Every time I come down here, I learn something new about the environment because it's in your face. You, you can't escape it, nor should you. It's all accessible. You don't have to travel great distances to find it. And my next guest knows all about that. She's the Environmental Outreach Coordinator at the Department of Environmental and Coastal Resources, Amy Avenant, how are you? Very good, thank you. A transplant from South Africa. I sure am. Uh, but a coastal girl anyway, because it's from Cape Town, yes, right? Yes, absolutely. 
Big difference, though, isn't it? Yeah, very big difference. Firstly, I can swim in the water, so that's nice. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. They People think that just because you're in, in South Africa, that it, the water's going to be always warm. No. No. <laughs> I mean, the last time, I not the last time I was in South Africa, but the last time I was in Cape Town, I was part of the penguin rescue. Oh, wow. Because of all the penguins that had been, you know, when oil spills and stuff yes, like that. Yeah. And I was in the water as we were putting them back in the water. And can you feel your feet yet? Oh, my God. <laughs> it's cold. And I learned something very interesting about penguins. Mm-hmm. Aren't they cute? They are cute. Yes. And there's a reason why I was wearing special rubber gloves that went all the way from my hand to my to, to my shoulder. Because those penguins will, will bite you. No, they're feisty. They're feisty. But no penguins here. No penguins here, no. But a, a different kind of environmental appearance, uh, uh, of experience. Yes, very much so. Um, yeah. Tell me the difference. Mm. Uh, the Turks and Caicos is... Um, quite untouched in comparison to other islands in the region. And um, we've got beautiful coral reefs and uh, the terrestrial terrain is w- is really wonderful. What is great and appeals to most people, I think, is that it's not dangerous in any way. So we don't have any scary, creepy crawlies or uh, large flora, uh, fauna, that dangerous fauna. So, so that's the technical term at the Department of Environment, dangerous, creepy crawlies? Oh, yes, yeah, yeah. We, we, that's how we define it in the islands. <laughs> so what? There are sharks? There are sharks. They're not uh, great whites. Um, we have reef sharks. We have nurse sharks. Um, and out in the deeper waters, we might get the more, uh, and I use the term very uh, loosely, aggressive shark species. But for, for the most part, what we see here, we've got some wonderful uh, species to, to witness when we go diving. And speaking of that, you mm. know, Every time I used to go in the water here, and this goes back, I have to think, at least 20 years. So this has to be the world's oldest dolphin, Jojo. <laughs> yes. I mean, and everybody claims to know him. Everybody claims to see him. Tell me the truth. Does Jojo really exist anymore? He really does. He really does. Um, I have a close friend who had him swimming around his mother's belly when, he was, when she was pregnant with him. And um, he's grown up here. He's he knows Jojo, and uh, Jojo is very easy to spot. He's got all the scars that you expect from a relic. <laughs> so he's getting up in years. Oh yeah, he is. But he's around, and he's uh, uh, ever learn uh, ever lonesome. He's always hanging out on his own. Now, part of your department has to be, you know, either either enacting and then enforcing conservation regulations. That's correct. What have you done recently to toughen them, given what's going on in the rest of the world? Right. We were very fortunate here because we've had protected areas since as early as the 1970s. Um, and the department works hard to with what we have because it can be uh, quite tough. But we work very hard to ensure that these rules and regulations in the protected areas are adhered to. Uh, we uh, work on various uh, awareness campaigns. And we are very fortunate to have an educated uh, clientele uh, that visit the island. Although, if I can be devil's advocate, it's mm-hmm. one thing to have the regulations, but if you don't have the force to enforce it, mm-hmm. meaning not enough patrol boats, you, know, you have to worry about overfishing, mm-hmm. you have to, right? And That's, we do. Yeah. And it is a, a constant challenge, absolutely. Uh, on, on the positive side, we work very closely with the communities um, to get awareness out into the public sphere and... Um, Media, for example, social media has really been a wonderful tool in the islands for that in particular. And we find that the local population is taking more of a uh, responsibility and ownership 
the natural environment and TCI. And what would you say is, and we'll come back to this when we, when, we, when we take a break, but I want you to think about this, your biggest challenge because, you know, so much of your economy depends on tourism. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, you've got to protect your environment. Mm -hmm. And there's that, that's a very slippery slope. Mm -hmm. Oh, it absolutely is. It's um, it's a daily struggle, and um, you know we we do what we can with what we have, like I said. But um, it's it's just a case of awareness. I don't use the word amazing a lot, but I'd have to say this is pretty amazing. Our, our guest is Amy Avenant from the Department of Environment and Coastal Resources. Amy, big challenges not just in the Turks and Caicos, but worldwide. People are finally, and I, I just have to laugh in, in a very sarcastic way when I use the word finally, coming to grips with plastic. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I spent a lot of time in the Pacific, and I'm not talking about that, you know, the, that sea of plastic that everybody talks about. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about my experiences just on Midway Island, where you have all the goonie birds. And you'll see occasionally the carcass of a goonie bird that's washed up on the beach, and its stomach has been opened. And all you see inside mm -hmm. are plastic lighters and six-pack containers and, and fishing line. And I mean, it's just, and that's what killed the bird, right? right. You've had that problem here. Oh, absolutely. We're not untouched by no means. Um, we've got uh, a huge awareness campaign at the moment going, but it's 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 a long process to get everyone to appreciate the impact that we are having on our immediate and our uh, not so immediate environments. I'll give you one example just from the United States. Mm -hmm. Every day in the United States, people use three million straws at a minimum that are plastic. Right. This is scary stuff. Absolutely. Now, but one by one, we're seeing the cruise lines start to eliminate them and replacing them with bamboo, which, which is biodegradable, right? You're doing that here in the islands now. Yes. Um, the single-use items. The single-use items. And the DCR uh, in April last year launched a no-straw campaign, and we had major resorts get on board, which is always encouraging. Um, because when we find when the private sector makes the change, then, you know, it's so much easier for everybody else to follow suit. Well, they the, the, often the, lead the way. The, absolutely. So it was very encouraging. And um, the islands have been working on a plastic bag ban for a few years now. And we're I, I should tell you, when I first went to Rwanda, mm -hmm. which, by the way, is the cleanest country in Africa, uh, it's, it's an amazing place. When I got off the plane, I, have, I was carrying a, like one of those duty-free plastic bags. Right. The very first thing they did, they motioned me over to the corner. Oh, my God, what are they going to do? What did I do wrong? What I did wrong was I was carrying a plastic bag. They mm -hmm. cut it in half and gave me a cloth bag. Yeah, fantastic. And and you cannot have a plastic bag in Rwanda. Mm -hmm. It's a great idea. Yeah, it is. And I think it's it's incredibly necessary. Are you doing that here yet? We are not yet. From the 1st uh, of uh, May, uh, we're uh, hoping to. Absolutely, I know. Uh, it couldn't be any uh, you know sooner for me. But uh, we are looking at uh, the... The bill going through soon. We're we're hoping that uh, the community is on board with that. We've done extensive public consultation, and uh, what will come out of that is a hope, hopefully a ban on not just plastics but styrofoams and all of those harmful items that we you know just use once and and discard. And then of course every resort has soap. Mm -hmm. People don't realize that when. I mean, they don't think about it, right? You, you check out of a hotel. That soap that was in your bathroom that you used is still maybe a half a bar of soap or more. Mm. What happens to that? Well, unfortunately here, not very much. It goes straight to the, to the landfill. That's not a good idea. Absolutely. And it is a case of uh, mindful use. I think a lot of the, the visitors that we get are from large countries with uh, huge amounts of land mass and space. And um, the limited resource that is land is taken for granted. 
wanted. Um, so it's about being uh, environmentally conscious and aware. But, um, but you know, also what I've learned over the years is it's baby steps. So we're, you know, we're, we're starting small. And any amount of awareness is considered a victory. So right now it's straws and plastic. Okay. <laughs> it's not bars of soap. Okay. Straws and plastic, <laughs> that's been your most recent big victories. That's correct. What's your biggest challenge? Uh, Other than the soap I just mentioned. Right. I think biggest challenge uh, we face in the TCIs is um, poaching. And we're on a constant um, uh, enforcement battle with uh, neighboring countries, uh, poachers from neighboring countries, illegal uh, fishing within the country itself, and then of, or the territory, and then, of course, the, the protection of our coral reefs. Yeah, because the overfishing on a global level is at alarming mm. proportions now. Absolutely. And we're seeing the impact. Uh, you know, fishing is an economic staple here. Next to tourism, it's the second largest industry, and it is something that supports livelihoods here. How's um, the conch doing? It's, it's okay. Um, in comparison to other areas in the region, there's no denying conch is threatened, um, but we do have a healthy export. Um, we keep a close eye, close watch on, uh, on it. And, uh, you know, we, we've got measures in place. We've got close seasons in place uh, to, to limit export and to protect the species. But you can still go to a restaurant and get conch chowder. Absolutely. Yes, you can. And it's pretty good. And it's very good. <laughs> but you should always ask, is it sustainable? I agree. Right? Absolutely. Where are the wagons? The wagon is too slow. Can't you ride? It's not that he can't ride. How is it you put it home? They're dangerous at both ends and crafty in the middle. Why would I want anything with a mind of its own bobbing about between my legs? I'm welcoming back my next guest, who, who won't tell me how long ago it was we met. <laughs> <laughs> but I call him my history and culture ambassador. In fact, he's the former director of culture at the Ministry of Culture right here on the Turks and Caicos. David Bowen, how are you, sir? I'm well, thank you. All right, let's start off with where we are. You're telling me we're not in the Caribbean. Well, we are zoned as the Caribbean, but we are in actually the Atlantic Ocean. All right. Uh, for like Bermuda. Yes. And Bermuda zone in the Caribbean. Exactly. So everybody thinks they've been to the Caribbean when they've been to Bermuda, but not even close. Not even close. But again, for zoning and marketing purposes, we are part of the Caribbean family. Okay. And you're part of the Turks and Caicos. Yes, indeed. You're yes, indeed. born and raised. Born and raised here in Grand Turk, the capital. You heard what I said in the introduction. Most people will come to a beautiful resort like this one, and we have to say this is a one beautiful resort. Indeed. You're going to have to use an industrial strength spatula <laughs> to get me out of here. But then they never leave the resorts. And there's just so much history here. There is. And uh, I, I think that it's getting better. I'm finding that more hotels that are in the remote areas are definitely bringing the guests to the inner part of the island to see more of the, the culture, the history, and the heritage. Now, this is a, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but this is a British overseas territory. Yes, still. it is. Uh, we broadcast the show late last year from an amazing place that most people have not even have never heard of. I guarantee you they've never been there. One of the, I think, the second British colony called St. Helena. And St. Helena's smack dab 1,200 miles from Angola and 1,800 miles from Brazil in the <laughs> middle of the South Atlantic, absolutely nowhere. And yet, there's a governor general there. Um, it's, it's very, very much structured along the British lines of, of, of government. Um, it's where they, they exiled Napoleon. It's also where he died. He couldn't get out. <laughs> it, most people can't even get in. Uh, 
But this is another overseas territory. Yes, it? it is. And I think for us, it's the best of both worlds because we have a U.S.-based economy, but we also a British overseas territory. So you have a governor general. Yes, we have a governor general. Okay, here. I want somebody to answer this question for me. No one's ever been able to answer it in any British overseas territory. What does the governor general do? Well, for us, the governor, gen the governor as a matter of fact, is the key to our party system. So we have a two-party system. We have the PDM and the PNP. And in parliament and when they have discussions, if he feels that uh, something is out of place, he can step in to make corrections. Because we're not independent, um, we're not always at liberty to make all of our choices ourselves. So the queen has to come in and step in through the governor. And when was the last time the queen was here? Oh, <laughs> I think 1962 <laughs> maybe was it was? Something like that. So she calls it in. <laughs> uh, you have your own currency? No, we don't. We use the U.S. East currency. It is U.S., all yes, U.S.? All U.S. It's not like the Eastern Car Caribbean currency. No, which is a good thing for us because, you see, if we had a different currency, it would probably be devalued against the U.S. dollar. And therefore, if that happens, then you'll find that people along the beach will be more harassed by um, vendors to try to get the U.S. dollar for the exchange rate, you see? So that's why we can so have... So you're not pegged to the dollar, you are the dollar. We are the dollar. We are the dollar. And that gives us a very good lifestyle, too, because we have that dollar-for-dollar dollar value. So when we go to the United States, um, we have a strong buying power. And you've been in overseas territory for how long? Ooh, that, that I'm lost about. A uh, very long time. Um, we changed hands a number of times. We were part of the Bahamas. We were part of Jamaica. Um, and but those are both overseas territories. And the French yeah. and the Spanish. So we've been back and forth. But uh, definitely, we're, we're definitely part of the British overseas territory and part of Britain. Do you vote in the British election? No, we don't. We don't uh, have any say in that whatsoever. Otherwise, we'd not, there would not be no Brexit, for, for sure. Um, <laughs> Everybody uh, says that now. You know. <laughs> Easy to say that now. Yeah, I know, but uh, what a mess, huh? But are you that tied to the British to the point where if their economy rocks, you roll? Not really, because we have our own economy, which is based on tourism, all right? So, yeah, you know, you are the model case, if you want to call it a case, but you're certainly an example of the power of travel and tourism, because if you take a look at the numbers, it's the largest industry in the world. It's one out of 11 jobs. It's an average GDP of 11%, and you're way above that you're here, way above that. Way yes. above that. Uh, it's one out of every five new jobs. And if you didn't have travel and tourism, you wouldn't have an economy. That's an, as a matter of fact, we are aware of that. And we have been trying for years to at least get the government to start to realize that if there's a drop in the tourism, there's going to be a, a, an effect on us. So we are trying to see what we can do um, to do more um, trade. Now, the government is your government, so have they figured it out? Because it would be my guess, and tell me if I'm wrong, that a, no, a majority of the members of your parliament are somehow, in some way, connected with travel and tourism. To a degree, I mean, the jobs here in this country, if you're not working for government, you're working for tourism. As simple as, as that. I, as I just said. As simple as that. Um, so, unfortunately, we are a limestone-based island. You see, in the Caribbean, you find many of the islands are volcanic. Therefore, they have rich soil and they grow things, whereas we are a limestone base, and that's why you don't find. Yes, we grow cotton. Yeah, good yeah. luck finding tall trees here. <laughs> Indeed. You don't find them. You don't find them here because of the soil um, content and because we are limestone base. However, um, there is lots of fish. Um, and there is, a, we have a, in North Caicos, the most fertile of all our islands, there is the best preserved slave plantation, cotton plantation in all the Caribbean called Wade's Green. And in North Caicos, we call it uh, the Emerald Isle or the bread basket. That's where we grow things. So the government's been trying for years to establish a farming industry within um, North Caicos and uh, to help us 
um, you know, grow some of our own foods instead of importing everything. To be day. more sustaining, of yes, course. Yes, of course. We're talking with David Bowen, the former cultural ambassador. He's actually the current cultural ambassador for me, but the former director of culture at the Ministry of Culture here in the Turks and Caicos. When we come back, I want to talk about not just the tourism base, but the history mm. and about what people need to know when they come here as opposed to, gee, it's a nice pool and I can go <laughs> swim in the ocean. And I remember the old dolphin here. Was it Jojo? Jojo, yes. Is Jojo still around? Still around. Come on. Still around. As a matter of fact, um, today is, today is what, Tuesday? Today is Wednesday. All right. I saw Jojo on, on Sunday. You saw him? Yes. And you know it was Jojo? It was definitely Jojo, yes, but it's back markings, you can tell. Yep. Yeah. Jojo must be 170 <laughs> years old by now. He's pretty old, but he's still around. He's still around. Uh, we're talking with David Bowen, who's former minister of, of culture and history and everything here in, in the Turks and Caicos. David, in this intro I just talked about, I mentioned all those places. Most visitors never see him. Well, as a matter of fact, that's just changing. We have a lots, of, lots of tours now that go to Middle and North Caicos. Um, to showcase a lot of these uh, historic sites. So it's definitely getting better, and we find that the, the hotel um, staff and the concierge are getting people out of the hotels, which is a very good thing for us because then it spreads the wealth around among the locals. But it also gives people a more genuine, authentic experience. Yes. Too often we get dumped into this Caribbean pot, and they, people assume by looking at the, the TV shows and the various um, uh, commercials that we're all the same. But when they come here, we have a different kind of music. We have a different uh, dialect. Is different. Um, our folk music, our folk dance, uh, everything is different from other Caribbean islands. So it's important for us, especially for me, to showcase what is unique, and um, to Tristan Caicos, to what we have. All right. Yes. So give me the different dialects. I I'd love to hear one right now. All right. For example, in Grand Turk. Now we have all these islands, right? We have six islands: Grand Turk, Salt Keys, South Keys, Middle Keys, North Keys, and Provo, right? Yeah. And now I'm from Grand Turk, and in Grand Turk we have a dialect that actually comes out of the Africans, uh, from Africa through the Carolinas. In South Carolina, it's the Gullah people. So we say church, as you say church, we say church. I'm going to church. My shirt is my shot. When I count to three, it's not one, two, three. It's one, two, three. <laughs> A good example of, of that. And also in Middle and North Caicos, they change their V and Ws. So weight is weight. That's very Dutch. I don't know about that. So, <laughs> But there it is. There it is. So you have a whole mixture when you think about it. It's a, it's a mixture. And of course, with all of the, we have Haitian background here. We have Dominican background. We have Jamaican background, Bahamian background. We are very multicultural. And so this mix now is throwing everything into the pot. So Okay, so yeah. that's the first item of forbids. The second thing you mentioned was the music differences. Yes. Everyone thinks that steel pan music or reggae music or soca calypso is our music. It is not. We have our own called rip saw music, also known as rake and scrape. And we use a carpenter saw as the main instrument in the band. Well, that's bluegrass. To a degree. I mean, in bluegrass, they use a saw? I have yeah, no of course. Okay. And they, oh, yeah. Ah, and the washboard. And the washboard. But the, the, do, you, do you scrape the saw or do you use a violin bow on the saw? Okay, now you're trying to really, uh, you're, really, you're trying to one up me here. No, I have no clue. I think that they use the violin bow yeah. um, on the straight side, but we use the teeth side, and we use a scraper, a nail, a screwdriver, whatever, and we play what's called the shuka shuk rhythm, shuka shuk shuka 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 shuk down the the spine of the uh, the saw, and we bend it to get high and low notes. It's amazing. And it ain't it ain't reggae, and it's not mento, and it's, it's called rip saw music also known as rake and scrape. So basically, you have to go first to a hardware store. Yes. 
But the best thing is to get an old saw because the old saw, the teeth are worn down. So therefore, it slides better. And also, it's more pliable. And you want, you want to have it flexible. You see, I got to love a guy who knows his saw. <laughs> <laughs> now, you speak from somebody who's played that before. Yeah, I play all the time. And um, I have started many ripsaw bands. Part of what I did, um, Start the Culture, is try to educate the young people on how important ripsaw music is. Because ripsaw music was really um, this, the, the music that would outline the history. We didn't write anything down, so all of our story, our storytelling and folk, and folk song writing, when something happened, then somebody write a song. Let's say you fell down yesterday, okay? Um, uh, maybe I tripped over a rip song. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and so if the song is so, uh, Greenberg fell down and he broke his leg. Oh, Greenberg fell down and he broke his leg. He fell on the rock and he pulled apart. Oh, Greenberg. So whatever, it's whatever happens, in the island, somebody will write a song about that particular happening. And that is, if you look at the history of music, that's storytelling. That's storytelling. That's how it started. That's how it started. So we still have that to a degree, but of course now with technology, the kids are spending more time with SpongeBob and whatever on TV and Netflix and not really learning about the culture. So we realize that culture is learned. No one is born with culture. Remember that, it's a learned thing. So if your parents or your grandparents are not passing it on to you, the only way we can do that now is through the school system. So I go into the It's school, part of the curriculum. It's part of the curriculum, yes. So where we have, um, I go in and I will explain, um, I will showcase um, TCI music, I will showcase uh, TCI folk dance and all that other thing. And so therefore, as a matter of fact, those are some of the school calling me right now. <laughs> <laughs> now, when was the last time anybody at a resort got treated to a, to a ripsaw band? Every Thursday night, we have something called the fish fry. And at the fish fry, there is always, always a ripsaw or a, a saw player playing with the band. So they, every Thursday night, if you want to go down to the lower bite um, for the fish fry, you will definitely see a ripsaw. Now, I've got to, I've got to share with you my, my, my great expertise of the, of the Turks and Caicos. Every time I come here, I've got to get up early to do it. I've got to borrow somebody's boat to do it. I go to Mama's Bakery. Ah, you know what I'm talking about. You want some bread and stuff, huh? Yeah, yeah. but you got to get there early because they sell out. They sell out, yes. Tell me about Mama's. Well, baking bread is, is part of our tradition. When I grew up, I mean, every Saturday morning, my grandmother would have the buns out there, and she always made a special pan just for me. And it was part because our, our culture at the time, we didn't have many import stuff coming in, so you had to make your own stuff. And baking bread is a big part of it. Mama's is, is one of those people who has the technique, has that soft, juicy, hot, with that with some butter. Oh, man, it, it's, you can't beat that. And here's what you, you, you got to get somebody to bring you over there. Yes. You don't, you don't take a ferry. You jump on somebody's yeah, boat. On the boating right? boat, yes, indeed. And it's about a 45-minute run. At I least. Mean, at at least, least, right? But it's worth it. But you got to start early in the morning. If you don't leave by 6.30 in the morning, you're going to miss out on the bread. And then you get over there, and you just pull into a small little port there, little harbor. you got to ask where it is. And, but it's walking distance. And you walk over there, and there's a line. No matter what time you get there, there's a line. Because all the locals know, right? And you just got to stay there long enough till somebody's nice to you. <laughs> says, okay, give them some bread. <laughs> it works. It does. You know, we were talking about the, uh, about the trust, uh, the, the National Trust yes. here. One of the other charities that I get involved in, my sister actually got involved with it too. I heard, I heard about it from my sister. It is all about the pot cakes. Yes, the, the, our local dogs around here we call pot cakes. The, the name goes back to the time when before we had Alpo and dog food, when you would cook your food, the, what we call the pot cake, when the rice is dried up in the bottom of the pan, it's called pot cake. It's very hard. And that was given to the dogs. And the name just came from that. 
And even though now these pot cakes are really eating up some really good food, but <laughs> the name has stuck. But there are a lot of stray dogs. A lot of stray dogs here. Well, actually, it's, it's getting better. It's getting know? better. It's, it's definitely getting better. And we have a wonderful, the Pot Cake Foundation is yes, fantastic. That's it. I've been over to them. It's, I have to warn everybody listening to the show. I, I want to encourage you to go there with this caution. You're going to go over there because you want to check out the dogs. And these dogs are available for adoption. If you leave without a dog, something's wrong because <laughs> you're, going to get, you're going to do it. And they, they help you out, they help with the airline, they get the dogs vaccinated, and that's how you rescue the dogs. Exactly. A, also, great, a great additional aspect to your vacation, you go with two, you come back with three. <laughs> you know? But also, even if you have a friend in the United States or somewhere else, you can bring a dog for someone else. Yeah, people are, that's right, part of the deal is you can actually be a courier, a courier and yes. bring the dog back and, and make everybody happy. Yes. Should there be a rapid change in cabin pressure, oxygen masks will automatically drop from the compartment above your seat, free of charge. And to start the flow of oxygen, pay your flight attendant Audible.com has more than 150,000 titles and virtually every genre. So check it out for yourself. Sign up today at www.audiblepodcast.com slash travel today to get a free audiobook and 30-day trial. My next guest, journalist, newsroom manager, and does the only televised news broadcast in the country. Yeah! Nadija Parker, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. So you're a native who went to school overseas and came back to go to work. Yep. And now you're on the air. Yes, I am. So you've seen a lot of the changes in the islands. Yeah. Uh, good, bad, and ugly. Yep. Uh, let's start with an economy that's so based on travel and tourism. Yes. Um, it's sort of like an Ibsen play. It's like the enemy of the people. You know, the question is, at what point do you, you know, reach the point of diminishing returns when you're promoting something or presenting something or selling something as an experience and then too many people experience it? Well, I think it's it's a bit of a, a, a I guess, win-win subject. I think uh, some people kind of look at it as in, we're doing great. It's good that we have so many numbers and so many tourists come in. And yeah, but aren't we, I, 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 I do, as this happens in almost every country where they all get, they, they, first of all, they're obsessed by and then consumed by the numbers. What's the average visitor stay? What's the you know what what what's the average spend? How much time do they spend here? Um, as opposed to understanding the quality of the experience. Yeah. Well, we do. I guess uh, a lot of hoteliers and restauranteurs they kind of make a big deal about how their employees treat guests because we want people to come back. Well, that's we want good. People to oh, I'm not worried about that. I'm worried about the the, the, you know, the Ministry of Tourism getting excited about the numbers, right? So you go to certain ports that have a huge cruise ship, you know, arrivals like you know the Bahamas. Uh, or St. John, or actually St. Thomas, uh, and they'll always boast about this year we had eight more ships in. We had, you know, 65 million more tourists and coming off of ships and stuff. And I'm going, whoa, that doesn't necessarily mean it's a good thing. Yeah, we've been speaking to the, the tourist board, CCI tourist board, and their goal, from what we understand, is 
basically to be the best in the region and the numbers kind of solidify their place as the best in the region. But you see the numbers, okay, I'm gonna be devil's advocate here. Mm. The numbers only solidify your, your position as how many people are showing up. It doesn't mean they're having a great time and it doesn't mean they're having a great and genuine and authentic experience. It means some of them as cruise ship passengers, I'm not saying the, T's, the TNCs are a big cruise ship port, but you know, if you go to, to St. Thomas, they'll give you those same wonderful numbers and the average you know, stay of a cruise ship passenger is six hours, and they buy one t-shirt and a hat, and maybe have one pina colada and run away. That to me, if you live, if, if you live in St. Thomas, you'd be the first to argue to me that they didn't have a genuine St. Thomas experience. Well, from speaking to tourists and yeah. speaking to visitors, you know, they mo most of the time the, the consensus is they're having a great time. I think right. the charm of Turks and Caicos kind of sells itself like they're they're so uh encompassed with like the environment and and the people the, the the local culture the food like there's so many different aspects that make us unique to other caribbean uh in comparison to other caribbean countries exactly so once you've got that here's my question to you not just as a journalist but as as someone who's born and raised here mm -hmm. how do you preserve that well it's just about kind of being able i think from a local perspective, you know, I've had the opportunity to study abroad and I've gone to different other, like other countries. And admittedly, when I first uh, left, I didn't really understand how uh, beautiful and how blessed I am to be living in what other people call paradise. So what Najiz is saying is she's happy to be home. Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, you have a different appreciation when you go away and you come back and you see like what Turks and Caicos is. And I think a lot of locals are starting to realize that we're kind of like a gem. And, and because of that, like we appreciate um, our, our industry so much, the tourism industry so much that we work hard. Like people who work in the tourism sector, they work hard to try and make sure the guests have a good experience. And we try to make sure that we constantly have a lot of local and history and culture that carries on so that people can see who we are and want to come back. Now, one of the things, look, you left the island to go to school, yeah. right? There's a program the government has here yes. to, to allow people, uh, the, the natives, to leave, the locals to leave, to go abroad for their education with what requirement? You come back and work. Exactly. So you're not escaping. You're, you're basically auditing other people's courses, if you will, yeah. right, in life to be able to bring that experience and that knowledge and that perspective yeah. back to the island. It's, it's like a, a, a package deal. You kind of get the education that you need to come back and fill positions that are desperately needed here. And then you get like the experience to see how other systems work around the world and get that exposure. And you also get the opportunity to learn to appreciate, I guess, where you come from. And I think that's been the, the majority of my experience. I mean, going abroad and coming back to work. Sure. Now, not to, not to turn this show into a job fair, but What's what positions are desperately needed to be filled here, as um, a, as a general rule? As as well, we always need uh, more healthcare prof uh, professionals. I mean, that's the thing globally. There's there's a shortage of doctors, so I think we always need extra doctors just to be you know secure to make sure that you have a healthy population. Um, just uh, different positions in government. I think we could benefit from you know some extra law enforcement, we could benefit from, you know, more contractors, we can benefit. There's a lot of untapped areas in Turks and Caicos that, you know, we can definitely use a bit more help in that area. Now, then there's crime. I live on an island in New York, which you can only get to by boat. You know what our biggest crime is? What? Bicycle theft. Really? Yeah, because there are no cars. Everybody has to get around by bicycle. Mm -hmm. And by the way, if somebody steals your bike, you might find it three weeks later because it's not leaving the island. It's yeah. just somewhere in the bushes, right? Yeah. 
What's the biggest crime down here? Petty theft, I think. Uh, crimes of opportunity, that seems to be it. And I think it just comes from, you know, persons uh, seeing an opportunity and not being able to resist. Sticky fingers, so to speak. And um, recently, the government and the police force have been trying to, you know, get a hold on, you know, getting that under control because it's something that can be easily managed. Well, you have the one travel experience here is where the, where the visitors come and stay at a resort and never leave the resort. Yeah. Right? And then there are those who do leave the resort. I want to presume that the people who are staying at the resort, that petty theft is relatively small. Yeah, pretty much non-existent. You need, you need to have some sort of proof of, I guess, that you are actually staying at the resort to be able to get inside. And if you're not staying at the resort, they have like security measures to ensure that, you know, right. you can't leave, you know, with stuff that you didn't come with. Hey, listen, I'm not going to let you go without asking for your local expertise here. Yeah. So if I've never been to the TCI and I say to you, okay, Nadija, I want to go to dinner tonight. Where are you going to take me? There's so many options. Like, it depends on what type of food you're into. If right. you're like, it's, what is it? Local S cuisine? Local cuisine, seafood. Go for it. Oh, Mr. Grouper's is one I've of been the to top. Mr. It's I have been to Mr. Grouper's for their sandwich. It's really good. Their food, their peas and rice, their fried plantain, yeah. their uh, chicken, their uh, grouper. Coconut crusted the, well, grouper. Well, they have is a grouper sandwich. Yeah. That grouper sandwich is huge. It's really nice. Yeah. Really locally sourced, sustainable fish. You know, we get it right on island okay, straight into the Okay, dare I mention conch? Yes, conch chowder. Their conch fritters are very notorious. Uh, they've won awards for that at our, like, local conch festivals. Really good. Groupers is definitely one of my favorite local okay. restaurants. and I got to throw it out there because we live in the world of globalization, yeah. Japanese. In my opinion, there's no real, like, authentic Japanese cuisine here. I don't think we have, like, I don't, I've never experienced real Japanese Food. I know that we've recently, uh, the VIX, I think it is, they've just uh, released a nice new... They've got a great Japanese restaurant yeah. here at Amanyara. Ma really? They do. I'm, I'm recommending that. I'm, I'm going to have to do that and now. And then the one that can't fail, because you, you either have it or you don't, I'm throwing it out, pizza. Yes, uh, bocce's. See, I knew you'd have an answer. <laughs> <laughs> bocce's is definitely Every journalist will tell you where the pizza is, <laughs> right? Because yes. we're always yeah. living on pizza. Yes, definitely a staple. Fly into the sky. The charge for looking at this pamphlet is $3. The charge for looking at this pamphlet and putting it back quickly is $4. we got to talk about culture here. we got to talk about art. we got to talk about things that you can do when you're here in the Turks and Caicos that may not be readily apparent. And joining me now, she's an expat and the owner of the Making Waves Art Studio, Alex Skye. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Now, you were born and raised where? In the Czech Republic, in Czechoslovakia. And how did you get from the Czech Republic to the Turks and Caicos? Well, I went... And don't say you flew. <laughs> I was going to. Um, no, my mom's a doctor, so I started off at the age of 14 going to Yemen. We lived there for a couple of years. And then I worked around the world. I just traveled and um, spent a year here, a year there, and got here 11 years ago and can't seem to leave. And then you opened up the studio. I opened up the studio. Tell, now, now tell me about this, because I'm a big fan of participatory travel. So that if I come to see you at the studio, obviously I see the stuff that you're doing. Mm -hmm. And what are you working with? What materials? I work with pretty much everything. I do oils, acrylics. Um, I used to sculpt more, but it's quite difficult here. Um, I do jewelry. 
And I do art classes as well. That's what I'm yes. waiting for. Because yes. if I'm staying at any of the resorts here, I can come in and, and, and do some courses Yes, with you. you can. Yes, you can. So basically, advanced arts and crafts for a guy yes. like me. Yes, you can. What could I make? Um, you, I usually Without you laughing at me. <laughs> I will laugh with you. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least we're on top of that. Okay. And I will provide you with wine, so you'll be fine. <laughs> so after the third glass of wine, it's performance art. Absolutely. <laughs> for you and me both. But you can definitely come over. I usually start with the, a beach painting for beginners. And um, after that, it depends on how much wine you we know, had. It, it, you know, it's so funny <laughs> that you mentioned that because I go back to when I was in elementary school. And uh, I am not an artist. Uh, but, of course, we had art class. Mm -hmm. And, of course, the first thing I painted was a beach with a palm tree because I could do it. Yes, um, of course you could. My mother then, oh, and it was, oh, it was terrible. And, and my mother was so proud of it, she went and framed it. Bless. Wait, it gets better. My father had a, my father was a doctor. He had a patient who was a renowned art critic. Mm -hmm. And he came to the house one night, and there on the wall was this thing that I did. And he was oh, what a great piece of primitive art. <laughs> <laughs> he was right. And, and, and I should have sold it to him. He would have paid a lot of money for it. You should have, absolutely. Yeah, and he would have had his hands on an original Greenberg. <laughs> All right, but beyond the beach scene, I can also do jewelry with you. You could, absolutely. Yeah, I do a lot of uh, resin jewelry, and it's also beach-themed. So I do bracelets, I do uh, earrings, uh, necklaces, pendants. And, you know, given the choice of going to a, to a location like the Turks and Caicos and buying something and bringing it home, or going and making something and bringing it home, I choose the latter. Absolutely, yeah. You could do both. Well, once, <laughs> once I saw what I made, I'd probably go buy something. <laughs> But at least I tried. You did. At least I tried. <laughs> um, now, being the expat but living here, and mm -hmm. you've been here for a while, 11 years now. Yes. Uh, in, the, in the time we've got left, I want you to give me a quick little primer, if you will, on where you're going to take me to breakfast. Where are you going to take me to lunch? Where are you going to take me to dinner? Okay. Um, I think breakfast, definitely, Sibonet, right on the beach. I've been going there for 11 years every Sunday morning. It's my ritual, so you would be more than welcome to join me. It's wonderful. And what am I ordering? You are definitely having Eggs Benny, for sure. Eggs Benny. And I haven't heard it described as Eggs Benny in a long time. <laughs> eggs Benny. It I is. want Eggs Benny. Okay. <laughs> And then where are we going to lunch? Um, for lunch, I'll take you definitely to Turk's Kebab. It's owned by a friend of mine, Zamar. She's a local girl, and her husband is Turkish. So it's a, a, a mix between Turkish and Turks and Caicos, which is really absolutely fantastic. And the answer to that was, who knew? Okay. <laughs> yeah, and absolutely. what am I what am I ordering there? And you're definitely going to have the chicken kebab, for sure. Classic, okay. yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. And if I'm not a meat eater? A uh, vegetarian um, wrap, for sure. Okay, they've yes. got that. And now, yes. and now, you know, give me the big, the big deal of the day, dinner. Uh, that's a tough one. I would, well, you know what? We're going out on, uh, on Wednesday, right? Whatever so you, if you say is, so, we're is, going out it's Wednesday. It's going to be a Wednesday special. So we're going to go to Bob's Bar. Um, it's owned by an expert who's been here for donkey's years. And there's a live band. It's all the older boys playing music that has never been near Justin Bieber. So <laughs> it's, That's it's brand new. Absolutely beautiful. Music that's never been near Justin Bieber. <laughs> Absolutely. Spoken like a true expat from the Czech Republic. Yes, I know. yes. <laughs> that's not a bad way to go. It's beautiful. And the view is fantastic. The sunsets are just absolutely beautiful there. And it's affordable. And it's very affordable, all of those, yes. See, that's what I like, because if you're, if you're not careful, you're going to get, you know, I know, yes. I know. So yes. everything that you just recommended to me is yes. affordable. Absolutely. You heard about a starving artist before? Oh, that would be me. <laughs> because no one's going to buy we anything I make. <laughs> <laughs> Alex Sky, an expat from Bohemia. Exactly. Exactly. And the owner of Making Waves Art Studio. Go take a class. 
drink enough wine, and it just won't matter. Am I right? Absolutely. All right. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to Alaska Flight 438. We'd like to tell you now about some important safety features of this aircraft. The most important safety feature we have aboard this plane is the flight attendants. Please look at one now. But I would walk 500 miles and I would walk 500 more. The feet of man who walks a thousand miles to fall Joining me now, I've, I, you know, I've been here a whopping 24 hours and the food has been amazing. Um, and I happened to notice uh, when I ordered lunch today, the food had a little bit of an Asian uh, tint to it. I had the spicy noodles at lunch, and uh, I was transported immediately back to one of my favorite places in the world, Thailand. It just so happens that the executive chef of Amanyara, Chris Patzold, just came here from, from his stint in Thailand. Welcome, Chris. Welcome. Thank you. Yeah. Um, it, it's one thing to be in Asia, uh, and uh, you were at the Four Seasons there. Here you are in Amanyara in, you know, on an island. Um, the question I ask all the chefs is, you know, is sourcing okay for you? Can you get what you need? Yeah, it, actually, it's it's a lot easier here than some places I've been in. Um, mainly, uh, two days I can get anything you like from from, from the states. Uh, a couple of good suppliers in 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 Charlotte, I think it's called. Um, all the, yes, all it's the, called Charlotte. <laughs> <laughs> um, and they can get things here within two days. So, it's uh, sourcing products is it, that's the easy part. And local, local's a bit tougher. Um, locally grown here is actually pretty non-existent uh we've got some seafood obviously which is which can be local um i met a new guy about, about a few days ago um he's growing some micro herbs which is all hydroponic stuff so th there's nothing you can really grow in the, in the soil here so because it's limestone exactly so. right so you have to be you got to be creative yeah pretty much uh, so this yeah this guy's got his whole, whole setup and Nothing's growing the ground. It's all above the ground. And but it's working. Yep, it is. Yeah, it's good. And the produce here is different than what you're used to getting. Yeah, well, mainly as uh, normally, well, been in Asia for 20 years, the last 20 years. So there's a lot of uh, locally grown fruits and, and, and you know, things like that, which, which are not available here. Yep. Um, also spices, a lot of spices. Like uh, I can still get it, but it's, they're not the same. But um, you can still get it, yeah. So you're okay. Yeah. So, I mean, but in terms of, you know, anytime you come to a new place as a, as a chef, you want to innovate. You want to introduce things that you know that will work. Yep. Um, what did you put on the menu here that they weren't doing before? Well, actually, um, I haven't changed the menus just as yet. <laughs> what, do you, what do you want to do? Well, we, we're changing all the menus coming, well, this month, February. Everything will be changed. Um, we're changing, um, basically, well, obviously, I've got a, a, an Asian a huge Asian influence in my co my cooking style, so um, we'll change. We won't add more Asian dishes, but we'll try to get the dishes more authentic, rather than. I mean, the last thing you really want to do is eat a Thai dish in in Turks and Caicos. You know, right. I, if if I was going to eat Thai food, I'd eat it in Thailand, right? So. Although we live in a world of globalization, I was just in yep. in in Qatar and had great Thai food. Yeah, I mean, yeah, for sure. But uh, I think for for the authenticity. Uh, you can't go past the regional country. So, but anyway, so what we do is uh, there will be a lot of Asian-inspired dishes here. But uh, the the main thing is is the, the guests really tell you what you want to eat, what 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 they want to eat. It's not really the the other way around. The chef has to has to has to cook what the guests want. I mean, 
if, if they're not happy, if they don't want Asian food, then I'm not going to do it. So, um, so what's the most popular dish? Popular dish? Uh, well, this is going to sound funny, but uh, probably a hamburger. I knew, you know what? I knew you were going <laughs> to say that. I mean, even if I go to a hotel, the first thing, the only things I'll actually eat is probably a club sandwich and, and, and a hamburger. If you get the hamburger right, you pretty much can get the rest of the food right. So, so. that's your metric. If they can get the hamburger right, the, <laughs> the restaurant's pretty good. Pretty, yeah, pretty much. I love that. Yeah. yeah. You know what? It's simple is better, but if they can't make that work, they're not going to make anything. Yeah, exactly. And it's, it's also, nowadays, you, you know, we've got Angus beef hamburgers, you've got your Wagyu beef hamburgers, you've got truffle burgers and you've got all sorts of stuff, you know. And it's not just a, you know, when you say hamburger, you're not really... You're not looking at your basic hamburger, you're getting Wendy's or whatever. You, you know, they're, they're quite uh, the gourmet thing nowadays. So Sure. Mm. And you can put anything on it and call it a burger. Exactly. As long as you stick it between a burger bun. <laughs> See, burger. in my old days, when I used to eat meat, I never had the bun. I would order, I would, I would check the restaurants out to see if they can make me a great cheeseburger rare with grilled onions, no bun. And if they could do that, I was home free. Yeah. Yeah, that's, the way, that's me. And I kept on thinking I was like, you know, being very diet conscious by not having the buns. But of course, I had extra cheese and extra. Oh, it, was, yeah. it was crazy. Well, that's, that's another thing nowadays as well is, that, is you know, we, we're, I think the, we're all going a bit more health conscious. So to actually to make a burger, which is actually healthy. Um, so you, instead of your tomato ketchup, you make a tomato relish. Um, instead of using a, a bun, which is full of sugar, you know, don't put any sugar in it at all. So, you know, and, and really use a quality piece of meat as well instead of the, the trimmings and the rubbish which you normally get into, into a burger patty. Um, and and it's a, it's a, it turns into a healthy meal. And that's, how, that's the secret. Yeah. So you're basically a burger inspector. <laughs> not, not, not really, but... Yeah. Well, you just, told me, you just told me the key to, have, to find a great restaurant. See if they can mess up the burger. Well, that's my... I like it. That's my I, motto. I'm with it. <laughs> I totally love that. You've been listening to Peter Greenberg Worldwide. Catch us each week as we broadcast from a new location somewhere around the world. If you like Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com survey. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader, like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader. Get one of the most successful broadcasts in television history on your schedule with the 60 Minutes podcast. Hard-hitting investigative reports, news, and culture maker interviews and in-depth profiles are waiting for you in every episode. Listen to 60 Minutes ad-free on Wondery Plus.